Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, where even the gays vote Republican. You can find us online at www.doubtcast.org, or those of you in West Michigan can listen to us on Public Reality Radio, WPRR, 1680 AM, Ada, Grand Rapids, or streaming live at publicrealityradio.org. My name is Dave Fletcher. With me in the studio are my fellow Doubtcasters, Jeremy Bean. Yellow. And Dr. Professor Luke Galen. Hello. Today, we're going to talk about resistance. Uh, la resistance. Yeah, well, we usually have a lot of very bad news to share uh, on the show because we're talking about religion and, and that's, our, that's our subject matter. Uh, most of the information you're going to find about that doesn't look too good right. for our society and where it's going. But we've collected a number of stories over the past couple of months and including even some very recent ones that share a different side. The people actually fighting against religious oppression, fighting against fundamentalism. Right. Uh, and we wanted to share that with you guys. Yeah, so, we may not be blowing up the Death Star or anything, but we're certainly making small, small strides. Yeah, religious and non-religious people together fighting against some mm -hmm. of the more reactionary impulses of religion. And we also have a guest on the show today, P.Z. Myers. The very popular P.Z. Myers from the very popular blog, Ferengula. Sounds vaguely sexual. It does. I'm not sure where the name comes from. It's my Ferengula. P.Z. Myers is a resistance leader of sorts. Uh, he even kidnapped Jesus Christ. Did you know that? He held the body of Jesus Christ captive. Oh, did, did he actually have the body? Uh, well, that's, he... that's according to the head of the Anti-Catholic uh, Defamation League. When P.Z. Myers came into possession of a consecrated Eucharist mm -hmm. wafer, they were claiming that he was holding Jesus hostage. So. so if you believe in transubstantiation, that is the body of Christ. I, mm -hmm. I can't wait for the day that we're famous enough that we get um, called out by the Catholic Anti-Defamation League because we're working on it. Yeah, yeah, we're heading there. Um and actually, we'll get to that in just a moment. But let's start off with good news stateside here in Iowa. We have a victory for, well, a pseudo victory, I guess is what we'd call it. We'll take our victories where we can on the gay marriage front. Yes, uh, this is from NPR News, April 3rd, 2009. Iowa High Court strikes down gay marriage ban. The article says, Iowa's Supreme Court has struck down the state's ban on gay marriage, saying the provision violates the constitutional right of gay and lesbian couples. Uh, the decision makes Iowa the first state in the Midwest and the third in the nation to legalize gay marriage. Uh, those other states being Massachusetts and Connecticut, which both permit same-sex marriages. Well, and California to... has and, and off uh, on and off again. Yeah, California uh, did until disputes. their recent uh, ballot proposal, mm -hmm. which which um, famously pulled back that decision. Which could still happen in Iowa 
the the other mo- the other side is moving now to do things like uh, get it to the legislature, of the the, le- the legislature to you know change the constitution. Right, so yeah. that's their next step. Obviously, is when they when they lose through the courts, they they try to overturn that through popular. Uh, mm-hmm. If it's unconstitutional, just change the constitution. Mm-hmm. That's right, and and uh, this is a very similar ban from from my understanding to the one we have in Michigan and in many other states too. Well, the Michigan ban was actually a result of a ballot proposal, right? That right, 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 right into the state's constitution. So that's part of the problem there. Did anybody notice? Uh, I thought Vermont allowed gay marriage, didn't it? And that wasn't put in the list. Vermont, the civil union one thing. Is yeah, it's civil unions. Okay, I civil, think is what it civil is. Civil unions. Yeah. I, I the least religious state. That. Vermont. Vermont? Yeah. It beat it, it, out the West Coast. I thought years and years ago Hawaii was allowing gay marriage. Am I off my rocker? They on had that? that. They had the fight, but I forgot how that turned out. Yeah, I mean, but that was that was a decade before anyone else was talking about it. So. Um, yeah, and I don't know how that turned out, and let's face it, it's Hawaii. So. Well, anyways, it is remarkable that this is happening, especially in the Midwest. And Iowa, not the most progressive of states, even by Midwest standards. They're kind of prickly and independent. I mean, if you think about some of the people that uh, – or some of the things there that they – you know, well, look at the, what Obama did in the primaries. There. Right, if they were right. If they were way conservative, they would have chosen a more conservative Democrat to win. But they're kind of like, you know, don't mess – it's like a combination of Vermont and the Midwest. They're – Mm. prickly, independent type people. Uh, yeah, former state lawmaker Ed Fallon told NPR, he said that I was always been on the cutting edge of civil rights, whether it's regarding desegregation of the schools or the rights of African-Americans to become full citizens. Mm. So they do have a history of uh, proud civil rights right. activism. And, and if this constitutional amendment does make it onto the ballot, will they have to caucus for it? I don't know. I I, I wouldn't think so. I just think the caucus is is silly, and uh, you just like saying the word. I like I like saying the word caucus. So good news from Iowa. Hopefully, hopefully this holds out. But like you said, the the opponents are on the move. They don't sit still for very long, do they? Yeah, you know, legal victories aren't the quite quite the same thing as swaying the the hearts and minds of of the public. And but that can happen, even in very repressive. Places uh, like West Michigan, like West Michigan, uh, but actually, I had in mind like Saudi Arabia. Ooh, even more oppressive. Yes, a story back from March, also NPR. I think we're going to be borrowing from NPR quite a bit today. Yeah, yeah. Tables turning on Saudi Arabia's religious police by Kelly McEvers. The situation in Saudi Arabia is there's this body called, uh, well, formerly known as the Commission to Promote Virtue and Prevent Vice. Now, this is the group that famously in 2002 allowed 14 schoolgirls to actually die. They were trapped in a burning building. And um, this group, the Commission to Promote Virtue and Prevent Vice, which is known more commonly by the people as the Heya. Isn't that a that's outcast a, song? That's an outcast song. I hate that song. <laughs> anyway. The Heya refused to allow girls to leave the burning building because they were not properly covered, as is prescribed by Islamic law. <sighs> uh, so 14 girls died. Several other events following that, including the 2005 beating of an alleged drug dealer in his home, um, whipped up uh, for the first time a a lot of public critique Hmm. of this organization and and their role. And for the first time, people started to sue. They started to use the courts to sue the Heya. It's about time. 
Yeah, well, it didn't really help a whole lot because the courts in Saudi Arabia are still part of the religious establishment, so mm -hmm. they're on the side of these guys. But at least what we're beginning to see is a lot more public response, a lot of public outrage to their activities. For example, the article points out that to see what Saudis are saying about the religious police, all you have to do is load up a few videos on YouTube. In one video, a Haya member harasses a woman in a mall for leaving her face uncovered and the woman fights back. Another group shows uh, women shouting at the Haya and eventually running them out of a mall. Um, several other stories, the NPR article documents about women being uh, basically attacked and, and put into jail, forced to sign false confessions over trivial acts like meeting a professor at Starbucks mm. and that sort of thing. Which I thought it was funny. There was a Starbucks. I, I was going to say that's really the most <laughs> shocking thing of this whole story. Well, they had the other one where the uh, the woman was uh, the old elderly woman, like seventy five, was uh, was in trouble with the religious police because there was men that were not related to her in her house. It turns out that she had been the the uh, nurse or breastfed them when they were young or something like that. But you know, this is like a grandma age person with younger men in the, in the house. So and, obviously, something going on with that. And this is really. Um, uh, this story amazes me that, that people are standing up to the Heya here. It's one thing for us to have our little podcast and complain about things uh, stateside and all of that. In Saudi Arabia, it's dangerous to stand up to these people. I mean this is really uh, – it takes uh, – It takes life to become intolerable and it also takes yeah. the strength of having other people who are willing to stand up too. And I think that's probably what's going on. All you need is that first spark yeah. and uh, hopefully the, the tide is turning a little bit there. The complaints have become so prevalent that the government is being forced to hear them. Saudi King Abdullah um, just recently fired the head of the Heya and he's also the head of the country's judicial system, the article says. So that's a clear sign that uh, hopefully they're going to be making changes. Uh, and even before he was fired, the article says the, uh, the commission was working to improve its image with training sessions and outreach programs. Some Saudis say the recent wave of criticism has put the Heya on better behavior. So. It, it sounds to me like the, uh, the folks running the Heya should have read the prints because they have finally overstepped that bounds between keeping the people in check and taking too much to rouse their anger. Well, the, the royal family is in kind of a, a bad position here because they have this arrangement with the clerics that they will be allowed to govern if they, you know, if they institute enough of the repressive religious stuff. Right. And if they go too far in a liberalized direction, they'll lose the support of the clerics. And given that they're, you know, the rulers of the Mecca area, a lot of the conservative Muslims around the world will crack down. But then if they go too conservative, you get things like this where their citizens start to, you know, chafe under that. So they are kind of always walking in the middle trying to have a balance. This is what happens when there is no separation of church and state. This is the kind of trouble you run into. Well, uh, moving across the globe from Saudi Arabia now to India. Which is actually not that far across the globe. All right. So what? Fairly quick jump, but, you know, still. All right. Well, I mean, it's not like driving into Wisconsin or anything. That, this is true. That's my favorite line from Stripes. It's Czechoslovakia. Yeah. It's, like, it's like going into Wisconsin. First Stripes reference on the podcast. Wow. Maybe our last. We are, we are knocking down the list of things we wanted to reference. <laughs> Jeremy's the big toe of this podcast. That's right. <laughs> we haven't dealt with much Hinduism here on the show because Hindus 
they don't cause that much trouble is oh sure is, they is do. the western notion sure i think sure they do they have their repressive religious police as well oh, sure. uh, in this case they're not employed by the government as mm-hmm. we saw with saudi arabia but the indian group known as the wrathful trunk of ganesh ganesh is not wrathful he's a friendly happy jolly elephant but the uh, indian group sheer ram is a nationalist group in india And uh, they've taken it upon themselves to start policing moral actions of the citizens as well. A article from the Los Angeles Times, Attack on Women at Bar in India Raises Fear of Hindu Taliban, describes what some of the Shir Ram people fight against. That includes the practice of Valentine's Day, which they find pretty horrible. I'm not a fan either. Well, it's created by the uh, uh, card companies. Uh, maybe that's what they have a problem with. Any holiday based on a massacre is just – oh, <laughs> wait. That's not – okay. Uh, they also have problems with kissing in Bollywood films, <gasps> open displays of affection, cheerleaders, and Hindu-Muslim relationships. Cheerleaders just in general? Uh, yeah, I can kind of see that. Yeah. I, I haven't liked it. Dude, this is a country where that. temples have acrobatic positions of sex where people are upside down getting it from every uh, yeah. angle, and they're okay with that. And 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 Bollywood films that have the rape scenes, every film has like some sort of forced right, sex, or like right. they're okay with that. It's but the if kissing. It's the kissing that really sets it's them like off. like prostitutes. So you got to draw the line somewhere. You don't kiss with them. These. That's what got the ShamWow guy. True story. Well, they drew the line when uh, they smashed up a pub uh, called Amnesia. Good pub name. <laughs> Where was that last night? I can't even remember. <laughs> well, the people didn't forget. They smashed up the pub. They assaulted a bunch of women there, pushing two of them to the ground. And it made the it made all the news broadcasts in India. Apparently, they were fed up with uh, with young girls socializing, clubbing with different men at the bar, and uh, and couldn't tolerate that. Well. Several women in India found a fantastic way to protest this, to, mm. to resist Sheer Ram. This is very cool. Yes. They have organized a campaign to mail in to this group some 40,000-plus used pink panties. Yeah. It's the used part that I find it's particularly the, That's really the best part. Because otherwise, you know, it's like, oh, hey, free panties. Yes. The and likely these men... Uh, are, wear panties. <laughs> the Guardian article from the UK: Indian pub attacks prompt pink knickers protest. <laughs> I love, I love the UK because <laughs> they have knickers. Yes, fed up with moral policing by radical Hindu groups who attacked women in pubs, targeting unmarried couples celebrating Valentine's Day. A group of women decided to fact, fight back with pink knickers. The, I love the name of this group too. the The name of the group that organized the uh, the panty mailing mm-hmm. is uh, they call themselves the Consortium of Pub Going Loose and Forward Women. <laughs> the article says they're a group of young female journalists, lawyers, and academics who began with a Facebook group. Actually, they uh, organized a Facebook. group. I was just going to say this sounds like a great Facebook group. Uh, they, they were, of course, upset by the beatings, also by a, a suicide from a 16-year-old girl earlier that month uh, after she'd been harassed and humiliated mm. by reactionary Hindu groups after being on the bus with a Muslim boy. Oh, boy. Also, 
Shiram announced that they were going to try to forcibly marry unwed couples found together on Valentine's Day. Wow. How do you forcibly marry someone? We, in, the, in the good old U.S., yeah. we call it a shotgun wedding. Uh, I guess so. Get up there, boy. You're going to be happy the rest of your life. We're going to blow your head off. This group that sent the panties when asked uh, why they chose that as a strategy, one of the spokesmen said, we wanted something irreverent and the panties is something we all wear, but no one is supposed to talk about it in Indian culture. It symbolizes the hypocrisy of Shiram's arguments. <laughs> it was great. Shiram Sena fired back <laughs> and they said, we say we use clinical violence which will have a healing effect on society. Oh, yeah, clinical violence. Clinical violence. That's, that's, that's a wonderful. Wonderful Orwellian-style term. Yeah. He says, we welcome any legal challenges. We say Valentine's Day is just propaganda from the market. We say pub culture is ruining our country. Let them send us the panties. We will wear them. <laughs> really? Wow. You're I making was, that I up. I was joking right? about I'm that earlier. I'm making that up. That's right in the article. That's that's fantastic. Um, Sandra, do you want to go beat some women with me? How do I look, by the way? <laughs> yeah. Is my thong sticking Is, out? Should I have wax? <laughs> what do you think? Oh, let's go beat the women. Oh, wow. If you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> oh, boy. It takes well, on a whole okay, new meaning. Oh, wow. That was, a, that was a funny pun. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. And I think possibly horribly offensive. All right. Moving on. Moving on. And, and this, this group was, of course, started by uh, denizens of Facebook. Uh, another movement has started on Facebook to combat, quite frankly, one of the dumbest, most irresponsible things said in a public forum um, in recent memory. Pope Ratzinger, while heading off to Africa, where I, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, um, but there's an AIDS problem. Really? No. Yes. In Africa? Now, in Africa. Um, is, but they don't have many gays over there. Yeah, see, that's the thing. That's, that's really interesting. Um, but the Pope being um, his fancy-wearing, shoe-pointy-hatted, stupid car riding around in former Hitler youth Pope um, said – I'm not setting up a straw man here. No, it may be poisoning the well, but uh, – Yeah, OK. Yeah, he's, he, he's done it already. Um, he uh, said that the use of condoms is wrong and, in fact, does not help prevent the spread of AIDS. Yeah. Speaking of HIV and AIDS, on a visit to Africa, he said, quote, AIDS is a tragedy that cannot be overcome by money alone, that cannot be overcome through the distribution of condoms, which can even increase the problem. So yeah. not just saying don't that, use condoms, saying that condoms can actually increase the problem. That was the thing that floored me is that uh, yeah. you expect the Pope to say stuff like, oh, you know, don't use your condoms. They are bad. But just then to say they make the problem worse. That's the thing that gets me is because, uh, you know, wow, what's the mechanism? I even got an argument uh, with somebody online about this in one of those blog forums where he's like, you know, some people say that it makes the problem worse. I'm like, what's what could possibly be your argument with that? Yeah. Did anybody suggest a mechanism by which it could be worse? Well, because okay, so so if other people are using condoms, then probably they they're, think safe, they're safe. Then they have this I false can go without that condoms. Be protected. And, and condoms are not a hundred percent 
safe when it comes to AIDS or pregnancy no, or anything not. like they that. they're not. They break. But We're not asking for 100%. They're pretty damn close to 100%. They are. And, and there's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Let, let's not train people to use them properly, which could increase their effectiveness. We'll just accept the fact that they're ineffective. So, yes. yeah, well, that, they use that in America, too. With the, They're like, oh, here's the failure rate of condoms. It's like 14%. But then you look at that, and those are people who aren't instructed of the use of condoms or right. they're not using them properly. Well, maybe you could increase the success rate of condoms if you showed people how to put them on yeah. and how to use them. Which, mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to be insulting here, but is there a more intuitive technology than the condom? I don't know. You've uh, got to pinch the tip and everything. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. I guess I never really found it all that complicated. There's a tip but... end? <laughs> oh, my. This explains so much. Yeah. I, see, my only problem with the condoms is swallowing it. It's such a... <laughs> I thought is you that... were going to say there's there's uh, extra material at the bottom. Oh, yeah. No. 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 That's never an issue. All right. Well, um, it, it's the, a suppository, keeping... right? <laughs> um, <laughs> it depends who you ask. Keep, keeping with the resistance theme for today's episode, why this is good news and not and not bad news. I mean, it is it is bad news. Right. But the uh, the silver lining in it is that a very prestigious medical journal, The Lancet, came out against the Pope. Which uh, is a, a hell of a thing for a medical journal to do. A, a lot of people shy away from criticizing religious leaders, mm-hmm. especially somebody as uh, eminent as the Pope. But this was too much for The Lancet. Uh, it's a London-based medical journal. They said about the Pope that he has, quote, publicly distorted scientific evidence to promote Catholic doctrine on this issue. Whether the Pope's error was due to ignorance or a deliberate attempt to manipulate science to support Catholic ideology is unclear. But when any influential person, be it a religious or political figure, makes a false scientific statement that could be devastating to the health of millions of people, they should retract or correct the public record. Nice. I like how they say the Pope is either an idiot or a liar. (laughs) Well, I don't think you have to read idiot into ignorance. Stupid? uh, I mean... You would think with all the resources at his disposal uh, um, that the Pope could get better information. Apparently you can spin uh, all kinds of arguments for existence and memorizing Thomas Aquinas' proofs for gods and things like that. But when it comes to like reading a journal article that says condom use prevents HIV passing through a latex barrier... It's it's beyond his abilities. That's so. that's the tricky part. I I believe uh, you can even just read a box of condoms and they will they'll tell you that much. Um, yes. Well, the Facebook group that was formed to speak out against this has a solution that's uh, similar or a form of protest that is mm-hmm. similar to what those forward and loose women in India. That's right. Had they say let's send condoms to the Pope, which is great because if anyone needs condoms. It's the Pope. Yeah. What would he? What would he do with them? No, I. I, I mean, I. Okay. I. I have a little bit of an issue with this campaign. First off, I think okay, it's great. Stick it to the Pope. Um, okay, you're you're making your point. I, I think the better form of protest would be to send condoms to Africa, where they need them. I mean, this is just this is just me being picky. But I think the the joke is is less important than All right, the actual crisis. Um, yeah, oh, yeah okay. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm still sending my, my condoms to it's the It's like Pope. sending a piece to a ballet class. What are they going to do with it? it 
Well, if I just we, think uh, the Pope's going to have we, these condoms and he's going to throw them on a, a fire. And if we follow the uh, example of the, those Indian women even further mm-hmm. and send used condoms, I'll tell you what they're going to do with them. They're going to clean them up. <laughs> That's like the Blues Brothers one. One prophylactic, one soiled. Sign here. <laughs> wow. That, All right. That That is not an idea I had thought of, but, uh, wow, that's... Boy, Second City 80s Comedians Reference Day. Yeah. Let's for, see, we got to fit more You in. might have your scripture, Jeremy, but I have my scripture. <laughs> my canon. The Western canon. All right. Well, speaking of resistance to the Catholic Church and Catholic dogma, we have a guest joining us, the venerable P.Z. Myers, author of the popular blog Ferengula. Recently there was a, uh, a book came out by Ken Miller, who is a critic of intelligent design and creationism, uh, also a, a Catholic, a Roman Catholic. And there was a book review of his by Jerry Coyne. Mm-hmm where Jerry Coyne kind of drew a line in the sand and said, you know, it's, it's nice everybody talking about how science and, and how their views on evolution and their religion can be reconciled. But he said he saw no real grounds for that reconciliation. He said uh, science and religion are compatible only in the sense that a single individual can hold both attitudes in their mind, kind of the way, same way that marriage is compatible with adultery in that one can be married and still have an affair at the same time. And some some people got very offended at that, saying, uh, especially Ken Miller, saying, "What is any time we talk about religion as scientists, uh, uh, is that adulterous? And I'm, I'm wondering, uh, what is your viewpoint on that? Is Must science and religion necessarily conflict? Yes, that's my position. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice to be so blunt about it. I, I appreciate the candor. Yes, uh, This often this kind of discussion often degenerates into what you just talked about with the individuals coming out saying, "Well, Ken Miller is a good scientist, and he's and he's religious, and and uh, you know, rattling off a bunch of names of of famous scientists who have been religious, and and it completely misses the point of the argument. That's not what Coyne is saying. He's saying what he's explicitly saying that is not an argument against what we're saying because. People are really good at encompassing a whole range of very diverse ideas, often conflicting ideas, which is the point of his argument about marriage and adultery, that people can value marriage and commit adultery at the same time. Uh, but the point is that, that philosophically, science and religion are in opposition. Science uh, says, okay, what we're going to do is we're con- con- continually revise our ideas. We're going to build on empirical knowledge. We're going to test and be self-critical of everything we do, uh, and and we're going to discard ideas that that we find don't work very well. And religion, on the other hand, is all about revealed knowledge. It's saying we have the answer already. What we have to do now is do some apologetics and some rationalization. We got to find excuses to say why my personal view of Adam and Eve is the correct one. And uh, that that is fundamentally the antithesis of science. It's not what we do. Uh, so when, when Jerry Coyne is saying that, what he's saying is, yeah, if you're, if you're going to cultivate a scientific mindset, you're going to find that that mindset is in opposition to religion. 
necessarily in opposition opposition to religion. And and you know just just looking at religion in general, religious people believe the most ridiculous things, without warrant, without any kind of evidence for them. And that's the kind of thing scientists should be criticizing all the time. Uh, it, it doesn't say though that that you can't be a scientist and religious. It just means you've got a weird hobby on the side, <laughs> and you don't mix them, and that's okay. Um. Backing up a little bit, you write one of the most popular, if not the most popular, uh, I, science I prefer blogs. the words notorious. Notorious. <laughs> I would much rather be notorious than popular. <laughs> yes. so. The notorious Ferangula blog uh, on, on science blogs. How did you uh, personally become interested in, in science writing? And, and did you have any sort of science writing career before you started Ferangula? No, it just kind of evolved that... Uh, yeah, it, it started off as as one of those little side lights that I just set up in my lab. You know, I, I had the server running in my lab to administer pages I use for teaching, and I just started typing there, and uh, it was fun. <laughs> I discovered I liked this kind of thing, and so I kept I kept babbling away on the internet, and uh, steadily more and more people came to listen to me, and. It just grew. <laughs> so now, now you've been thrust into a certain uh, amount of, of secular celebrity, or, or uh, you said notorious before, certainly uh, on the creationist blogs, you're infamous. Yes. Um, and, and I'm wondering, now that you've been pushed to the forefront of kind of this renaissance in, in free thought, what what are you learning about about this this movement, the new atheists, the the the, uh, the spread of free thought around campuses? Uh, what what are you seeing in the development of this movement? Well, uh, a, a couple things. Let's uh, let me start with the good stuff that I'm seeing right now. There, there and, and I, I will confess to some bad things. Uh, the good stuff is uh, people are being more outspoken. They're feeling freer about talking about this. And that's always a good thing. Okay, so more open speech is, is, is something we value. Uh, we're seeing an explosion of interest everywhere I go. I mean, you mentioned that I'm, I'm a celebrity in, in the free thought movement, which is very peculiar because I'm constantly being invited to these things. What happens is campuses all over the country are creating these new free thought organizations, and they want to get started with a bang. They want somebody who will come in and be sensational and say things and get people excited and... Uh, Truth be told, the first thing they always think of is Richard Dawkins. But they can't afford <laughs> Richard Dawkins. And so then the second thing they think of is me. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm the cut-rate American Richard Dawkins, I think, for, for this. And they drag me in, and, and, and we have a good time. We talk. That's so, quite a compliment. I was going to say, that's good work if you can get yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, you know, the budget Richard Dawkins. I don't know. Yeah, we're, we're, we're the poor man's DJ growthy. So we're uh, – Yeah, we're, we're dealing with some of that too. Yeah, but it's okay. So it's it's great. It's a great opportunity to meet lots of people. And and I'm just finding that um, when when you go to these organizations, which what, what you find is is something very refreshing. I've been going to atheist meetings for a long time, and atheist meetings tend to be a little bit stodgy. Really? Really? <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah. No, not in Michigan. <laughs> but not the new ones. The new atheists, the ones that are forming on campuses, tend to be younger. They tend to be more dynamic. They tend to be they tend to be more interested in talking about lots of things, not just, well, here's this stupid verse in the Bible. No, it's it's more 
more free-ranging, and, and that's very exciting. Um, the bad things I've, I've seen is while we've got this, this rapid growth, I'm also seeing this peculiar splintering of, of everything. Mm-hmm. That, that there's so many groups. I mean, there's Secular Students Alliance, there's CFI, there's all these organizations scattered all together. And I, I can see each one, you know, since they're, they're forming up anew, they don't really want to compromise their independence yet. But I'm seeing little interest in getting yeah. together and pulling it together. And that's what we really need is uh, we need an umbrella organization. Mm-hmm. Where a Vatican City. <laughs> yes, we need the atheist pope. No, 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 we do not need that. No, I'm just saying we, we, need, we need an umbrella organization, which is, is not so much um, – not so much the head, the dictator, mm-hmm. the guider of the movement, but but somebody that just says, okay, well, let's coordinate, let's mm-hmm. pull this all together. You know, let's let's get SSA and CFI together. Mm-hmm. They're in the same town. Let's have them. Let's help them work right. together. And uh, that's that's what we need is more more promotion of unity while still maintaining our diversity. It's a, a yeah. tricky thing for free thinkers. I mean, yes. you know, it's it's the old herding cats analogies. Yes. Um, a lot and I think a lot of the the problems with our group is that we um, so many people uh, who are free thinkers don't want to be involved, you know. They so I think there's are larger numbers out there than what we're seeing in the groups like CFI and um, it does seem to be an academically minded group, not yeah. an activist. Exactly. Yes. There are a lot more out there, but they're like, I don't want to turn up. If I wanted to go to church, I'd, I'd believe yes. in something. And I think we lose a lot of numbers um, and potential volunteers just because of that fact. Well, yeah, and that's, that's another little problem. Maybe it's a big problem. Uh, what we've got is a lot of people who love to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, it's often this enough, is a podcast. Oh, that's, uh, God. <laughs> yes, and, and and often it's like it's it's enough that we just get together as a group and we cheer each other on and we mm-hmm. talk about great successes and so forth and and uh, that isn't enough. That's not sustaining. What we need is long term goals where people sit down. And they say, "Well, it's great that we're having a good conversation here. What do we do next?" Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's throw that question back at you. Uh, what do you think should should be our goals? What what is next on the horizon? Well, there's always world domination. Oh, that's, of course, that's, but We're that's that's, kind of, that's long term. You got to work your way into yeah. that, and we'll need Dawkins for that. So, I mean, I appreciate <laughs> you being here, but we're gonna. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He brings in that international component. You know. <laughs> um, well. The, the, the way I think it, that we really need to go is is we need to set up some specific political and social goals, and uh, this this again will, is one of those areas where we're going to start splintering because people will disagree on mm-hmm. those. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we need to do is at least start discussing what where do we want to go next, and uh, you know some of the goals that we need to think about are the short term immediate goals that we're already working on. Things like, let's get creationism out of the school. Mm-hmm. Let's, Amen. Yes. Let's get to work on that as a group. You know, there are all these nice atheist groups in town. Has, has anybody thought of organizing them and saying, you know, there's the school board meeting this week. We need to go down to the, the council, city council on Thursday. We've got to have representatives there for two hours of really boring discussion. And yeah. we have to have a report filed back with the atheist group. 
Uh, we've got to have people who are willing to speak out if they bring up any issues of concern. Because the other side is doing that. Yes, they are. Why aren't we doing that? Why don't we have this kind of general consensus that, you know, again, we don't have this high-level high hierarchy with a directive telling us to do this. Why don't we have a general consensus that one of the goals of an atheist group ought to be monitoring local activities for inappropriate religious intrusions? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's something we can do right now. We should be doing more of. Uh, another one is is lobbying. I mean, we've got Americans United, which is just great. It's not an atheist group, of course, mm-hmm. which is right. which is just fine. I mean, we can wor- we can work with religious organizations or secular organizations, and we can say we want to help out. Mm-hmm. Let's do some more lobbying. Uh, AU's got their their national headquarters in in Washington D.C. Obviously enough, uh, but they've got local chapters everywhere. We should be saying to members of these atheist organizations, get affiliated. Sign up for AU, get the training in lobbying, and again, it's not—it's not you going to the—it's not you going to your state capital and, and proselytizing for atheism. It's going in there with specific goals. Here's a bill that's coming up, where it's giving special privileges to religion. Let's fight that. Let's give nice secular explanations for why we shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And then we should have um, even better long-term goals. Is, is simple things like um, this. This will scare everybody. I, I think we ought to be taxing the churches. Oh, I, why I aren't we? I agree. <laughs> there with you. Especially given the economic crisis we're facing right now, think of all of the the tax revenue that would be generated. Exactly. Well, and since they insist many on on pushing their political views mm-hmm. anyways, whatever whatever loose argument they had for avoiding taxation, I think is doesn't apply. Yes, this yeah. this is politically unpopular among the religious. But it's it's an eminently practical goal to, to reach for. Yeah. I mean, look at local communities, and local communities all have gigantic holes in their tax bases because they got these scads of churches scattered all around that don't don't contribute. Mm-hmm. Why aren't we hitting things on the local level and saying, "Hey, you know, there, there, there's this there's this waste of space church over here. It's a, it's taking up a block." It's got minimal congregation attending to it. Why are you giving them special privileges? Mm-hmm. Again, we th- th- this 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 is something we can do. It's going that one is going to be really hard because there's it, it's yeah. ingrained in the in the citizenry here that you give well, special. It, it's in the constitution to, that you don't tax churches. Well, it's is their argument. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's it's debilitating. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's something that's really crippling economies. Is it's, they, they, These are organizations that pretend to be offering services. Many of them do not, mm-hmm. other than passing the collection plate and feeding the pastor and right. his family. Keeping the power on in the church and, yes. and that's yeah. that. Now, you're a teacher, and um, obviously you're at the college level, so hopefully a lot of creationism has been weeded out. But uh, it um, hasn't. <laughs> it hasn't, really. Okay, yeah. Well, at the, at the college level, we actually have quite a few advantages because we're we're not we're not controlled by a school board. You mm-hmm. know, we don't we don't have we don't have right wing nuts breathing down our necks all the time, and so we can be fairly blunt in the classroom. Um, in, in my talk the other day, I, I mentioned that um, my goal is not to turn the science classroom into an atheist church. No, we don't want that. That the goal is always to be keep the classroom secular, mm-hmm. which means we don't address those those issues of whether God exists or not. But we do address factual issues, and there's a simple factual issue, which is creationism is false. It's mm-hmm. wrong. 
So when we get them into the college classroom, we can be pretty darn blunt about it and mm-hmm. tell them, well, no, if you think that, you're going to fail the test. <laughs> right. You're not going to pass this course. Uh, you have to at least be able to explain the scientific evidence for evolution, and I, I don't care what you believe on the side. And, you know, I don't say it in the classroom, but if people come talk to me afterwards, I can always say, well, I also don't respect what you believe on the side. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, yeah, uh, we, we can be pretty harsh, and, and we are. Uh, but, of course, college is too late. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's the problem because yes. you don't have that freedom in high school. No, um, you don't. Not at all. Uh, no. You should, but, but we don't yeah. realistically. And, and well, and it's, it's peculiar because uh, s- most states have a set of guidelines. They have a set of official guidelines where you are required to teach certain subjects, mm-hmm. which only makes sense. I right. Mean, yeah. You've got to set curriculum. You want to make sure that graduates of your school system come out with a certain suite of knowledge. And and most states have curricula that demand that you teach evolution. Mm-hmm. And as we've discovered in most states, most teachers do not. Yeah. <laughs> they actually avoid teaching that because of community pressure. They will get parents storming in and yelling at them. Right. They will get parents storming into their administration and yelling at them, fire that teacher. Yeah. yeah. And so there's there's some active suppression of good science teaching going on at the high school level. Does your life as a as a science popularizer and on the blogs and as an active critic of religion, does this ever come into conflict with your role as a teacher or does it ever make things difficult for you as a teacher? I'm thinking, of course, of the notorious uh, cracker incident <laughs> um, that I'm sure all of our listeners have heard about, or, or the the flap over the Expelled movie, uh, mm-hmm. Peasy being expelled from Expelled. This uh, makes d- for a great headline. So oh, it's yes. awesome! D- does this ever does this ever create problems for you at, at the school, at the university? No, because the, you have ten. Because you're tenured. <laughs> yes, tenure helps, uh, but but. There's something deeper there. I mean, uh, what is teaching about? Is it about going in and confirming the prior beliefs of your students, or is it about going in and challenging them? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, this is a perfect example of something where I'm shaking things up. I'm disagreeing with my students. And at the college level especially, that is a privilege that we have to exercise mm-hmm. uh, as, as, as a public intellectual we're falling down the job if we don't get out there and freely express, express ourselves and tell people things that they find extremely uncomfortable. Uh, so that's, that's what I have to do. And the, the point is that my students don't have to feel like they have to slavishly accept what I say. You know, I, I don't give them exams where I say, you know, Catholic cracker, Jesus or piece of bread. <laughs> And they have to check off one, or they, or they no. I, I that, that's that's completely inappropriate. That's an easy quiz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know that that's not the kind of thing I would do. Uh, but on the other hand, what I'm what I am is I'm standing up there, and they know that I'm somebody who thinks Catholicism is a bunch of bunk, and they can talk to me about it outside of class. I teach biology. I don't teach Catholicism, so they'd have to t- get me out of class. But I think that's good for students to see that there's all these differences. Yeah. Uh, similarly, there are there are faculty at my university who are religious. They're less outrageous about it than I am about my atheism. Hmm. Uh, but 
the students know this. They can see them at church. They're standing up and representing their set of beliefs. So it's not like they're being isolated or no. From the you don't have outside. to hide your your beliefs as a as a teacher. You don't exactly. Have to when, when you look at a, at a university faculty, what you find is a whole mix of people who have very diverse views, and many of them are much more cautious than others. And and uh, there are there are some good, great, loud, noisy humanities faculty out there mm. too. And that's uh, true. Yeah, and. In a lot of ways, you know, it's, it's humanities faculty that are they're often rocking the boat a little bit more than the scientists. The scientists are sitting there thinking about their grant money. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those we don't guys, have to worry about that. that. Those guys, they have no money. They have nothing to lose. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it's no, funny because you know, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and, and, and it's also true that there's a lot of good radicals and good outspoken liberals uh, among the, the social sciences and humanities faculty. And uh, you got to respect that, too. One of the things that I really enjoyed about listening to your talks the past couple of days, I really appreciated your emphasis on not just the current findings of science, but getting into the intellectual history and getting into the philosophy of science. And and you made the case to us, and you tell this to your students, that it's essential to understand some of the history and philosophy of these ideas. Well... In science, of course, what we're studying is a process, right? Science is, is not about a body of facts that are written down and that we must memorize. Uh, science is about a process of discovery. How do you, how do you learn something? That um, what, what students should come, get out of a science class is the understanding of how people came to certain conclusions, what kinds of evidence did they use, uh, what are the open questions that still remain. And you, can, you, you, can, you have to go back and explain the past to tell them how they got here. That's part of the story. Uh, you know, for example, uh, you know, I teach developmental biology, so you know, I, I and I mentioned a little bit about this about Hox genes last night. Uh, are you going to just simply accept for the accept as a fact what I when I say? Well, there's a set of roughly eight Hox genes in Drosophila, and they're in a nice little order on a genome, and they're in these clusters, and they're expressed in certain regions. What, what, what we want science students to say is, well, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. Show me. Yeah. What are the experiments that were done to do that? And so in my upper level courses, of course, we'll go through it in detail. We'll, we'll go back to Ed Lewis's classic papers from the 60s where he's doing all these genetic experiments and breaking down uh, you know, exactly what genes are involved in these homeotic transformations that we see. Uh, Nusslein Volhard and Vichaus's discovery of, of uh, these sets of genes that are involved in, in maternal effect mutations and also in all these other cool mutations in development. Uh, we'll talk about uh, all these people, you know, Walter Gehring, who discovers the homeobox. We'll go through the sequence. We'll talk about it. And so, yeah, I can't talk about homeoboxes without talking about Gehring, Nusslein, Volhard, Bischaus, Ed Lewis, and even more. I, I tend to go back even farther and go back into the 19th century talk about Bateson, who discovered all these interesting homeotic mutations. Uh, this this is not stuff that we just sort of pop into existence out of our heads. It's got a history and it's got a uh, a set of tightly knit evidential based reasoning to come to this conclusion. They aren't they aren't learning science if they don't learn that part of it. And you also pointed out though that there's some creationists like uh, Jonathan Wells, I think was the example that you used, who are in some ways trying to actively suppress that history or knowledge of that history yes. or at least only bring up the parts that are convenient to their own case. Yes. I, I, I brought up one specific example, for instance, of, of this textbook. 
uh, by Gutman that, that has a beautiful section on Heckel's embryos where he's talking about the history of these and saying, well, you know, the interpretations weren't quite right in the 19th century and there were some shenanigans with some of the, with fudging some of the diagrams. But here's the, the modern understanding. And so he's explaining the history, explaining why we think this way. And this is something that Heckel says is, in, or that Wells, excuse me, says is inappropriate for a textbook. Hmm. It's exactly what I want in a textbook. <laughs> so it's it's talking about a, a uh, an, an actual case of uh, of some flawed scientific research. What mm-hmm. the creationists claim they want us to to show are some of the other side, and yet it's taking the time to then explain what the correct view and everything else. And he That's doesn't right. want us to know that. No, he doesn't. He also doesn't want, you, want us to include photographs of embryos. Because they might reveal that what he's saying is a crock. There's they're... no soul in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I mean, when I, was, when I was in high school, I remember learning the Bohr model of the atom, which is, uh-huh. which is largely discounted. It's a, it's a helpful illustration, yes. but it's not, it's not exactly accurate. Talked about Tycho Brahe with, the, uh, with his idea. of, the, And those are the stories that, that I remember, the stuff that seemed like a good idea at the time until someone else came along and went, you're on the right track, but you know, yes. if, we, if we put the sun in the center of the universe, then suddenly the star chart works, that right. sort of thing. And it's that process that's so important to science. So, yes. so do you find that, that do, do your students nod off during the historical bits, or do you find that that oh. enriches it for them? I, I, get, I get a mix of responses in student reviews uh, that... The amusing thing is, is this is the class I let lots of humanities and social science students come in, and they love it. <laughs> they, <laughs> I bet. I think this is great. You know, uh, uh, some of the science students appreciate that. Yeah, they have now have a deeper understanding of it, and some of them, of course, will say, "Well, I'm I'm on my way to medical school. Just teach me the facts. Get it over with." And I don't need to know what's wrong. I don't need to know yeah. where it came from. Just tell me what we know. Yes, yeah. and. Uh, they, they, they say that, but I, I, I'm pretty confident that over the years, they will realize that they now understand something a little better. It would be a little, it's a little more memorable. You know, mm-hmm. Memorizing a list of facts, that you can keep that in your head for a little while, but it will fade over time. But understanding you know, what these experiments were is something a little deeper, and I think it will stick with them. This is a question as, as our number of religious uh, listeners and, and replies have trailed off steadily over the progress of the show. This is a question we, we've been asking ourselves, and that is, are, are we just preaching to the choir here? <laughs> and uh, you, your blog is, of course, very popular. Not all those readers could possibly all be atheists and agnostics, but I'm guessing there's not too many hardcore creationists coming over to, to do anything more than see what shocking things PZ is saying yes. today. Do you ever get that feeling? Are we preaching to the choir? Are the new atheists, or uh, some of the science bloggers, are we just all just preaching to ourselves? Of course there's, there's an element of preaching to the choir there because what we're doing is we're building a community of freethinkers. You've mm-hmm. got to do that. You can't just say, well, I'm going to ignore you because you're already on my side. I've got to go talk to the, these other horrible people over here who are wrong. Well, no, you can't do that. You have to keep the community going. You have to keep people interested. And and what you also have to do is build up a larger number of people to go out there and do your job for you. You know, I, 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 can't, I can't... Make apostles of all nations. Yes. Yeah. I can't go out and bash every single creationist there are. <laughs> There's so many of them. Yes. It's like but, whack-a-mole. <laughs> but what I can do is cultivate a readership who've got some information about how creationism works, and they can go out and do it for me. So that, that, that's a good thing. 
Uh, also, I don't think I don't think we are necessarily preaching just to the choir. That there are a fair number of people who who pay attention to this stuff. Um, there are a number of readers on my site who are serious thinking Christians, mm-hmm. and they make themselves known in the comments. Mm. That's excellent. I mean, I th- I think they're believing in a crock of nonsense, but <laughs> but you know they're they're at least people who are thinking, and that's that's good. And they're they're also making their views known, and and hopefully what it's doing is it's it's helping to prevent uh, an absolute polarization mm-hmm. where we dehumanize each other because Christians are good people too, and atheists are good people, and just those Christians are wrong, and <laughs> we have to work on them. But we need to talk about the ideas, uh, yes. not, not just attack yeah. the people. Exactly, yes. that I, I, I often say I, I have no problem with Christians. I just despise Christianity, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the level it's at. So, yeah, I think, I think it's a good thing, and uh, we're, we're, we're building, well, we're building a, a free-thought community that is vocal and outspoken, they're, they're going to spread the news. That's the idea. Well, thank you so much for what you're doing to, uh, to spread the news and to help build this community. And we really appreciate you joining us on Reasonable Doubts. Glad to be here. Well, unfortunately, even on this very positive episode that, by the way, involves suicides and deaths of many people and the epidemic spread of AIDS. Um, but, you know, resistance against it. I'm taking it you're kind of a glasses half empty kind of guy. Uh, I, I'm feeling a little... It's like if this podcast were operating during the Inquisition, we'd be like, you know, several people died after hot pokers shoved up their anus. But one person made it out of the Inquisition. <laughs> right, right. We're, you know... The rope broke when they tried to hang him. Crucify me for trying to share a little optimism. Well, no, and, and we did have a little optimism. Now that Paul it's Harvey's just, uh, gone, we need a person who has good news like him on our show. Page uh, two. Page um, two. So we're going to end today with um, a bit of not so good news. Uh, this is on our shit list. Uh, we started off the hour with Saudi Arabia and we're ending with um, Texas. That's right. Texas is on our shit list. Which is basically the same place. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're Oil, similar. sand, covered women. Bad music. Don't get on Middle Eastern music. Austin has good music though. Oh, yeah. That's, that's true. true. Austin is like – Austin – there we go. There's our positive spin for this story. Austin, Texas. Yeah. It continues to exist. That's true. Let's take that in for a second. And now let's talk about how the rest of the state is on our shit list. All right. Well, the rest of the state is on the shit list because of the Texas State Board of Education. On almost as good as the Kansas Board of Education. Which is like almost oxymoronic in, in a contradiction. Their new curriculum standards for science, it looked like they were making a good choice. It looked like they were going to be striking out uh, this language, uh, the clause that required teachers to address the quote, strengths and weaknesses of scientific theories, oh. which is uh, all all just an excuse for creationists to right. criticize, bring up their su- pseudoscientific critiques of Darwinism. Yeah, I'm sure that this, they're not going to discuss the weaknesses of atomic theory and Newtonian physics. And Well, they dropped the strengths and weaknesses language, but guess what they put in instead? Uh-oh. The uh, article here, Defeat and Some Success for Texas Evolution Foes by Michael Brink for the New York Times, says 
Failing to overhaul the curriculum broadly, conservatives instead attached a series of measures to specific subjects like biology, where teachers would be newly required to, quote, analyze and evaluate the sufficiency or insufficiency of natural selection to explain the complexity of the cell. So they've taken out the language about... The vague language. The vague language about strengths and weaknesses and put in much stronger language specifically about natural selection. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just great. Yeah, so uh, that's the situation in Texas now. Um, apparently, we're going to be talking about... We're going to look at the insufficiency of natural selection. And, and you know, the real, the real negative part of this is that uh, this means textbook yes. writers for Texas yes. are going to be under pressure in very specific ways to dull their defense of evolution right. to perhaps include some language that would reference uh, creationism or intelligent design or at least just um, or the their types of their critiques. Of... Yes. And that also and that means then the textbook the is the out there and then it it can crop up this, in other – This has been going on since 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 back when I was in high school and that's back in the day when we didn't even have things like this. The, the Scopes Monkey uh, Trial? Yeah. That the, um, they, uh, our teacher handed out the textbooks and said – and basically apologized by and told us the whole textbook. The Texas textbook story, like that, you know, the reason that evolution is oh, watered really? down in our textbook is because they can't find a market. Nobody wants to publish a textbook; they can't have a market in Texas. Right. And so this has been going on for decades now. And you, this you were in Nebraska, mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah. So so close to, uh, close to Texas. So I imagine they got a lot of the uh, in the same way that Michigan's close to New York. Well, maybe. yeah. I mean, same region. You know, they're, they're all hillbillies. Okay. Yeah. Um, West Michigan is telling me that Nebraska is a hillbilly. <laughs> Send your hate mail to David Fletcher. Rise up, Nebraska listeners. Uh, Put down w- your banjos w- and no one rise up. in Nebraska. They don't have the internet out there. Okay. Uh, it's just a plane. That Wire. again is David <laughs> Fletcher. Wireless yeah. means standing up on your windmill and saying, hey, you guys, come on over. All right. Well, uh, send all hate mail to www.doubtcast.org. Thanks for listening, and please join us next week. To catch up on past Reasonable Doubts episodes or to email your questions or comments, check out www.doubtcast.org. Reasonable Doubts is a production of WPRR Reality Radio. You can find out more about Reality Radio at publicrealityradio.org. Reasonable Doubts theme music is performed by Love Fossil and used with permission.